Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! Ben, what kind of person would you be if aliens attacked? Would you, <laughs> would you run for the hills? Would you take up arms? Would you kill yourself? <laughs> or would you drop trow and let them have your way? Well, you know, I'd be one of the first dead. Like, they <laughs> just during the announcement, like something would fall on me and that would be it. I don't have to worry. I don't, I don't stress about alien invasion films or uh, uh, like pandemic films or anything like that because I'm pretty confident that uh, my survival <laughs> skills... Uh, <laughs> Uh, next to zero and i would die super quick and then you know i don't care i'm dead that's generous you're just giving us uh the rest of us time to get away yeah that's right yeah that's <laughs> you know that thing i don't have to i don't have to outrun the monster i just have to outrun you like i'm that <laughs> what do you uh what do you think of the music mate that's the unused intro theme music from mars attacks i love mars attacks I love Mars Attacks. I wanted to watch it again for this show, but I ran out of time. So it's just as well I didn't, because I didn't know you were going to be using it as the opening. <laughs> not, that that, not that that would have stopped. I saw it three times at the cinema. I reckon it's Tim Burton's unsung masterpiece. It's just so good. It, uh, I mean, look, I, I love anything that has a sleazy Michael J. Fox in it. No, it's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's not sleazy Michael J. Fox. It's sleazy, uh, it's sleazy Martin Short. No, no, no. Yes, well, it is. But Pierce Brosnan is maybe who you're thinking of. No, who's the who's the the guy in the limousine who always picks up the <laughs> prostitutes and tells them he's got a very oh, yeah, Ma Martin Short. But Martin you've Short. actually highlighted the fact that there's probably like three sleazy characters, and if you include Jack Nicholson, that makes four. Yeah, well, Jack Nicholson twice. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, shit. Well, let us crack on and uh, dive deep into today's theme. Welcome to Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShamp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. Uh, the show is available wherever you get your podcast from. You already know that. Uh, so please do take the time to share us across your social media pages and perhaps bring your friends to the party. My name is Glenn Cochran. I'm wearing my tinfoil hat to get me through the show. And your beloved co-host is Ben Helwig, who is all lubed up and hoping for invasion. How are you, mate? Well, I was a lot better before that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wrong. You know, you're not wrong. That's not what I was looping up for, but, uh, you know, any, <laughs> any of my holes are a goal. <laughs> Since I mentioned that gas lift in the chair last week, that's what you're ready for. <laughs> so this week, Occupation Rainfall is hitting Blu-ray and DVD, and coming up a bit later, we will be talking one-on-one -on -one with the star of the film, Dan Ewing. And uh, yes, we thought we would celebrate that release by making today's show all about alien invasion movies. But having said that, uh, let's take a liberal approach here and maybe 
alien abduction, alien infection, alien adoption. <laughs> we'll just put them all into the, the one basket. Is that because you uh, chose uh, really weird films that don't fall into the uh, <laughs> alien invasion category? Maybe. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, if you do want to win a copy of Occupation Rainfall, we have uh, some to give away. So just follow us on social media to find out how to win. Absolutely. And speaking of social media, we uh, we posted a reaction video to George Romero's lost film, The Amusement Park, uh, that went up online last Friday. So go and have a look at that. We loved it, didn't we, Ben? We certainly did. Film of the year. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> that, and funnily enough, both our, both our reaction videos, because we did, we did uh, Amusement Park and we did Percy vs. Goliath, uh, or Percy uh, last week, and both of them, both of them were quite animated, shall we say? Yeah. Which is unusual. I think like, so. We don't really like to to um, talk about films we don't like, or be negative <laughs> about films. We generally, try and find the positive about anything we talk about. It's just sometimes it's a bit hard, and sometimes it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we do move on, some people and places that we want to thank are uh, Four Pillars Gin, The Lunar Drive-In, Eagle Entertainment, Astor Theatre and Umbrella Entertainment. Please visit their websites and social media. And while you're at it, make sure you visit all of our social media pages and subscribe if you haven't already and click that bell for notifications. Uh, we upload content on a daily basis, as we said. Speaking of support, though, uh, look, I don't do this often, but... Producing this show actually costs quite a bit of money, so money that we happily spend, but if you enjoy what we do and you would like to chip in, then click the Good Movie Monday banner at the top of the homepage at fakeshamp.net. That will take you to a PayPal donation page. We do not expect you to donate, but we would be grateful if you do, in case you're wondering. Um, look, expenses uh, that go into this show include maintaining domains, website costs, um, music licensing, marketing, all other things like equipment and shit like that, so... Now, if you can chip in, we would love it. Don't forget my quite heavy lube costs. <laughs> That's the bulk That's the, of the, the donation. Expenses go. I'm a big boy <laughs> and I require a lot of lubrication to fit anywhere. Uh, <laughs> then let's get started. Uh, should we talk about one movie each before we really jump into the rest of the show? Sure. I'm going to go first. I, I caught a movie um, from last year. I watched it last week. It's called Save Yourselves. Dude, this one is an absolute banger. It's a gem of a film. It stars uh, Sunita Manny, who's the uh, Indian chick from Glow, if you've seen that show on Netflix. And it also has John Reynolds from Stranger Things. But, dude, this is right up my alley because it tells the story of a Gen Y couple who decide to spend a week off the grid at a house in the mountains. And whilst they're away, they're completely unaware that there's an inva alien invasion going on that is decimating the entire globe. And what I, what I love about this film is that it's, it's like a social commentary on the whole generation. <laughs> and like, because they're like a Gen Y, they're completely ill-equipped to survive a disaster or an apocalypse. And so they have no skills whatsoever and their social awareness or wokeness, if you will, is their total undoing? And dude, it's funny. <laughs> have you heard of it? I have not. I've not heard of it at all. No. It is really good. Look, most people know how I feel about woke culture and, and social justice warrior types. So this film is just no. like it's. It was like no, you <laughs> it's, so well it's, <laughs> this film sang to me so bad, man. It's funny as <laughs> anyway. Save yourselves. Do yourself a favor. Check it out. What do you got? 
Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit more vintage uh, for a film I actually, funnily enough, only watched for the first time this week. Uh, though I've had the VHS for what feels like decades, uh, it's 1986's Invaders from Mars. Fantastic a remake, directed by Toby Hooper, and starring Karen Black, Timothy Bottoms, Lorraine Newman from SNL. Uh, Bud Court pops up. Louise Fletcher, the original Nurse Ratchet. Mm-hmm. James Caron, who is uh, the uh the guy who kind of the second fiddle at the the um medical plant in return of the living dead he turns up as mm-hmm. one of the kind of army dudes it's a really i mean like it is clearly like a 50 sci-fi kind of thing where this kid kind of living in the kind of countryside sees a well what they think they see see, see something crash in the copper hills mm-hmm. like out the back of his farm and his dad goes to investigate and comes back basically uh, invaded, like possessed by, by mm-hmm. an alien. But the kid is the only one who can tell. And then slowly more and more people in the town get possessed. And, and the only person he's able to convince that this is happening is uh, the school nurse, who's played by Karen Black. Um, and yeah. then, of course, they, they seek help from the military and they find out that they're actually, the military are actually planning a rocket launch to Mars. And they kind mm-hmm. of figure out that the Martians have hurt, like they've cottoned on to this and they think it, it's an attack. So they've preemptively come down to earth to counterattack, and yes. uh, kind of, it goes on from there. It's pretty, it's a very, it's very Toby Hooper. Like it's very kind of life force and, you know, mm-hmm. massacre two kind of. It's very hokey. What I love most about this one, it's the simplest thing. I love the fact that the backyard is like clearly on a soundstage. You know, it's yeah. clearly, you know, a, a cardboard hill, like a, you know, a wooden hill with, you know, fake grass put down, but it looks so charming. And that's the image on the poster as well. Like, it's yeah, just, like that is glorious. The, yeah, that's the poster image is the, is the, the path and the, and the fence like in their backyard. Yeah. What's most amazing though, is that the film starts with the kid and his dad looking up at the stars uh, and kind of, you know, pointing out things. And then the mum comes out and tells them to go to bed because they got school and work the next day and stuff. And their relationship is so wholesome and fake that it's almost as if they've been possessed already. <laughs> like it is it's so over the top and you're like, no, no. Fit. Mate, it's not over the top. It's Americana, don't you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I do. It's a great one. I love it. It's, it's heaps of fun. And, um, and it also it got a great blu-ray release a few years ago through umbrella our good mates at umbrella yes it's funny there's a lot of things that uh have got these releases from umbrella that uh uh you kind of like oh did they did they release that <laughs> to almost no fanfare it's just yeah they just pump out so many films every month <laughs> they just get lost in the shuffle well that's one i'm glad i snapped up um but hey let's um let's uh go to jarrett uh, here's something about jarrett's segment it's actually called PE class, and we haven't referred to it as PE class for a long time. So, mind you, Jarrett hasn't really adopted his PE teacher persona either. So maybe, maybe we can get him back into character. What do you reckon? Although <laughs> last year I told him to stop doing it because he got too rude. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair enough. All good, all good PE teachers are. That's what motivates you to run faster. <laughs> Here's the coach himself. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now, this week I'm going to start the segment with a little bit of news, and that is the fact that Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment will be releasing A Quiet Place 2 on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and DVD 
on August 11th. And while I don't have any special feature info to share with you at this stage, I can assure you that the 4K Ultra HD will contain a Dolby fucking Atmos track. Yes, indeed it shall. Then moving on to this week's releases, we've got Disney putting out speed on 4K Ultra HD. That's right, the 94 classic directed by Jean de Bond with Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, and of course, Dennis Hopper. It's getting a local release on 4K Ultra HD. However, it is a little bit of a lackluster release. It is just a 4K Ultra HD disc, which means you only get two special features, which are two commentary tracks. In similar sort of fashion, the UK release is lackluster also. It does come bundled with a Blu-ray, but that Blu-ray only has the commentary tracks, an on-screen trivia track, and some trailers. If you're a fan of Speed, you need to own the Ultimate Edition out of the States because it's got so much content on it. It's a 4K Ultra HD plus Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray has the two commentaries, six featurettes, six extended scenes, trailers and TV spots, and it's even got Billy Idol's music video for Speed. That's correct. It is the Ultimate Edition. So if you get it now, you can pretty much get it with a slipcover as well, which looks pretty snazzy. Then moving on to Roadshow this week, they're releasing Cosmic Sin on Blu-ray and DVD. This one stars Frank Grillo and Bruce Paycheck Willis. It's essentially a DTV space actioner. Uh, however, it did get a theatrical release in Australia purely because there was space in the program because none of the studios releasing movies. So this film actually got a look in on the big screen in Australia, which I'm still surprised. Also coming out from Roadshow this week is Wanderer with Tommy Lee Jones. That's a DVD-only release. Then moving on to Umbrella Entertainment, they've got one release this week, but it's an important one. It's Occupation Rainfall, and it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Now, I have mentioned the special features for this release before in the news, but I will touch on them once more. It's got two commentary tracks, eight deleted scenes with optional commentary, three featurettes, and multiple trailers and TV spots. And if you're a Monster Pictures collector, then you can actually reverse the sleeve of this one and on the other side it's got alternate artwork with the monster logo on the spine and on the front so you can add it to your monster pictures collection then universal sony pictures home entertainment are releasing one of the best films of the year on 4k ultra hd blu-ray and dvd this week and that movie is nobody with bob odenkirk now the 4k ultra hd does have dolby atmos and the blu-ray and 4k SKUs have a bunch of special features that include commentary track three featurettes and deleted scenes then another big release from universal sony pictures home entertainment this week is indiana jones it's getting a release on 4k ultra hd in a collection that's right you get all four films on 4k ultra hd with dolby atmos dolby vision and hdr 10 plus you get a fifth disc with archival special features all on a blu-ray so a five disc set out this week and also available from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment this week is The Unholy coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. That is sans special features, but that's the way it's been released everywhere in the world. Uh, St. Maud's finally getting a look on Home Entertainment, sadly only on DVD. The Aussie film Long Story Short's getting a look in, but DVD only. And finally Crisis uh, is getting a DVD release. Now, if you want to know about this one, Speak to Glenn. I think he's got a lot of thoughts to share on this one with you. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. Man, from tell you what, from one week of absolutely no new releases to loads of releases this week, I'm really torn on that Indiana Jones 4K box set. Um, well, it does come with Dolby fucking Atmos, so... <laughs> Well, you know what? The fact that there's a fifth movie coming means there's only going to be another box around the corner. So why the fuck would I spend my money mm. on this one? That is that is the most anyway. frustrating. I do have the uh, the box set prior to Crystal Skull. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that was Jarrett Garn, uh, the guy whose firstborn will be named Dolby without a doubt. And um, Jarrett <laughs> can be found on the Monster Pictures and Monster Fest Facebook pages and social media. So find those and um, annoy the shit out of him.
Back to recommendations, mate. Uh, fire away with your next one. Uh, okay, my next one is uh, I really I, look. I find myself watching this film over and over again, which is quite uh, appropriate considering the nature of the film. It is 2014's The Edge of Tomorrow, otherwise known as Live Die Repeat: The Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> That's a banger. It is a banger of a film directed by Doug Lyman of Swingers and Go fame and starring, uh, you know, the last, <laughs> the last movie star. I love that you went right back to Swingers and Go to as examples of Doug Lyman films when he's done all these other big ones since. I don't care about any of them. Uh, <laughs> I try and, I try and back, bring it back to films that I like. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> does uh, Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt. Uh, Bill Paxton, who is great in it, and uh, Australia's own Noah Taylor. And do you know, I didn't realize this, but the Brad Pitt was actually the original choice to play the lead. And when he passed, that's when they went to Tommy Cruise. I'm kind of glad that happened because I think Tom Cruise is great in this. I think he's, I, look, I think he's great in everything. I think Brad Pitt's great in everything too, though. So I think it would have been a different kind of film. Especially because mm. Cruz, like this film is co-written by about 10 different people in typical blockbuster fashion. <laughs> and But Cruz brought in uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who kind of added a lot of the comedic aspects to it. Because at the time, he was directing Cruz in Jack Reacher, which unfortunately is not a great film, especially if you like it. Yeah. But that being, <laughs> that being aside, so basically <laughs> it's, it's a science fiction Groundhog Day involving an alien invasion. And Tom Cruise at the start of the film, he plays like a, uh, a, like a publicity, like one of the, one of the army's publicity agents. But uh, I think he screws up, something happens and he kind of gets caught doing something wrong. So they basically, they turn him, even though he's a major, they put him in with the grunts uh, like the, the infantry. at the front line kind of thing. And he uh, drinks yep. some, uh, drinks some alien blood. And all of a sudden, every time he gets killed, he, uh, the day starts over again. Hmm. So uh, he, along with uh, Emily Blunt and uh, Noah Taylor, figure out that they're you know humanity's last hope at defeating this alien invasion. I I don't generally like uh, Groundhog Day you know tropes. I don't like those movies that repeat themselves. But this one is a banger. Like I, it did not bother me. Interestingly, like they're doing a sequel, and that's the easiest sequel in the world. Just do the same movie with different credits. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else do you need to do? So wouldn't that be great if they just bung out the same movie? Yeah. Yeah, as, a, as the ultimate joke on the fans. Yeah, everyone's watching it going, hang on, we've, we've seen this. But yeah. then you're like, oh, have we? Like, because it's just repeating like, itself. Just use alternate takes. <laughs> yeah. But basically the same, just slightly different. If they, yeah, if they were smart, they would have done two takes every time. Yeah. Recorded two films <laughs> in one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Speaking of um, Tom Cruise, I was really tempted to go with uh, War of the Worlds, <laughs> but we spoke about that the other week. So I thought I better not because that's too repetitive. Uh, speaking of. Uh, so I'll leave that as an honorable mention and I'm going to go with Super 8 instead. The J.J. Abrams flick that is practically a Steven Spielberg movie. Um, and look, whether they want to admit it or not, I kind of reckon that Super 8 was the inspiration the Duffer Brothers had when they made Stranger Things because they're very similar. Set in the 1980s group of kids on bikes, um, they witness a huge train derailment and they capture it all on their camera. 
And um, they also happen to capture an alien escaping from the train, which leads to a full adventure through their town where there's government cover-up and the monster is on the loose in small-town USA. It's, it is a fun movie. The, the weird thing that's always frustrated me is there's a lot of people that hate it and, I, and they're passionate about their hate for it. I don't get it. I think it's just a wonderful film. Are you, are you a fan? I, look, I, I remember really liking it, but I also, and I think I bought like the Steelbook Blu-ray release of it and stuff, but I haven't gone back and, and watched it again. So I don't really remember too much about it, except yeah. that it did have like one of the things I read at the time uh, were people commenting on the, the sheer volume of lens flare uh in the film (laughs) that old like jj trope the yeah that well that was him doing this the spielberg like ripping off the spielberg trope which was odd like they the big complaint was like there's no light like there's no like you get you get (laughs) lens flare when there's like sunlight hitting the the lens and often there's lens flare with no sunlight (laughs) <laughs> I don't mind it. It's one of those. It's one of those things that's clearly fabricated, but you know, it just the, it adds to the fantasy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think, so. Like it's fabricated the way Crystal Skull should have been to make it a bit more authentic as a as a Indiana Jones film, not rather than try and ape an Indiana Jones film. Like they, it could have made, made it why, more real. Like Super Eight was. Why do you got to push my buttons? Yeah. Super 8 was more grounded, like less, less um, matte painting backgrounds and uh, and more dark. Because <laughs> Super 8's pretty dark. Like even for a Spielberg kids film, it's pretty dark. Uh, it's got some pretty it is, dark it's elements. That throwback, it's that throwback to um to the 80s for sure. You know, the, yeah. the E.T. kind of darkness and light. But, um, you know, if you want to compare it with Crystal Skull, the one thing that was missing from Super 8 was monkeys. <laughs> yeah. What have you got next? You do need to have a monkey (laughs) humping someone's face at some point uh, in a film. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to keep it uh, modern again uh, Mm -hmm. and talk about uh, Beyond Skyline from 2017. Um, Which is, is that the second one in the trilogy? It's the second one in the trilogy. And it's like, I funnily enough, I have not seen the original one. Because I do not right. care for Eric Balfour. I've never liked Eric Balfour. I don't like him as a villain, and I don't like him as a hero. And I find it very difficult to watch movies with him in it. Uh, but I do, I do actually do want to go back and and watch it after seeing this. And this is directed by the producer of the first one. The two brothers who directed the first one don't return for this or the the uh, third one in the director. <laughs> There's. There's probably good reason for that. Do you know the whole legal story behind the first one? No. The first one, just to just to uh, digress for a second, they were the special effects guys working on Battle Los Angeles. You know that big alien. It's yeah. basically the same movie, right? But they were moonlighting and using all of the resources from the the edit suite in the studio to make Skyline, right. like without the studio <laughs> knowing. And the studio were like, "Well, you're you're making another movie on our dime with our equipment." without asking and so there's this whole and that's how skyline came about yeah right well that's uh that's great it makes me want to watch <laughs> it even more uh yeah. and basically for those people who don't know what this uh what this trilogy is basically about is um aliens kind of invade the earth and they flash these kind of blue lights 
and it hypnotizes you. And while you're stunned with the hypnosis of the, it sucks you up into this, you get sucked up into the spaceship where the aliens uh, rip out your brains and then stick them into their kind of mechanical automatons and turn you into their kind of invading armies. It's pretty mm. cool stuff. Like the special effects and stuff are great. And this one, like the first one is pretty contained from what I understand. It's all set in, in like a, a, a large kind of condominium in, in, in LA kind of thing. This one yep. is much bigger in scope and it stars uh, one of my favorite uh, modern day action stars, uh, Frank Grillo from Purge of and, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. He's been in Marvel movies. He's done everything, that guy. Um, and uh, it also like i got the for a while i thought it was shot here in australia because it does star um bojana uh i can never pronounce her name novakovic from raw fm and uh, satisfaction satisfactions the tv series he's also in the hello mm -hmm. that uh, we released monster pictures released um about five years ago uh, she's doing she is doing a lot of international things but she got her start here sure uh, and it also does it also got a couple of guys from the raid because uh, mm -hmm. you know, martial arts versus alien cyborgs always works out well for the martial artists. And you do get to see <laughs> the guys from the raid get their limbs pulled off and all sorts of awesome stuff. But Frank Grillo plays a cop whose son gets abducted and he kind of follows him up into the alien spaceship. And then they kind of, they do actually run across. So this movie is actually taking place roughly the same time as the first film is taking place. Because mm -hmm. um, they do run across the characters from the first film. And then yep. the, they save a baby, and the baby is the baby of the main of Eric Balfour, and uh, I can't remember who his girlfriend is in the. I can't remember her name, um, but they save their baby, and her baby is like the prophesized, you know, savior of the human mm. race, who then takes the fights to the aliens in the third film of the trilogy. But uh, well, that that third film was recently released on uh, DVD here in Australia, and it's it, very little fanfare too. So I'd be interested to see. I've seen the first two. It'd be interesting to see how that third one plays out. It just seems to be a Frank Grillo thing. Like as awesome as I find his <laughs> movie, the studios seem to have no faith in them, and they're not willing to spend that kind of hundred million dollars on a marketing campaign to release anything he's in. He's the kind of guy they need to just plonk into Fast and the Furious or something like that, you know? I mean, he was in Wheelman. He's got, he's got uh, <laughs> uh, you know, car-driving cred. Yep, he can fight. We've seen Donnybrook. He would have been much, much better and much more, like, I mean, he's Italian. <laughs> so he would have been much better than Diesel's dad in, uh, a brother, sorry, in, uh, in, in Fast and Furious 9 than, uh, who do they get, John <laughs> Cena? John Cena. <laughs> oh, dearie. All right. Well, my next one, uh, I'm going to keep it Spielbergian for this. And for me, it's not a great film, but it is very hard to resist. It is Cowboys and Aliens, starring Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford, directed by John Favreau. And look, you know, fantastic concept. It's pretty, the title speaks for itself, man. Like, Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> it's very much in that Steven Spielberg school of... Uh... If you can tell me the concept in 25 words or less, I know it's going to be a great movie. It doesn't always work out that way. Well, but this is definitely one of those. The production history is really weird because they tried to make it back in 1997 and had all kinds of struggles to get it made, which I would have thought the title sold itself. But the writer is Scott Mitchell Rosenberg, who came from Marvel Comics. And he, um, he had so much frustration in not being able to get his script 
made that he actually went and published it into a graphic novel. And it was the graphic novel that you know, inspired the studios to actually pick it up and go ahead with it. But it, it's, it's received a lot of hate over the years. I think it's heaps of fun. And I love the fact that Favreau uh, refused to shoot this one digitally. Like he pushed really hard to have it done on film at a time when digital was everything. And he just felt that Westerns should never be shot on digital. So there's a little bit of integrity there. Well, you know, if they would have made it in the 90s, it would have probably been the Wild Wild West. Like that kind of yeah. kind of hokey. Yeah. When you know when Hollywood big budget movies were made like that with you know Kenneth Branagh as the as the villain and Will Smith and Kevin Klein <laughs> in a kind yep. of you know buddy cop type. I mean, could could you imagine if it was Cowboys and Aliens, but it's Will Smith and Kevin Klein? <laughs> well, maybe that's the reason they didn't have confidence in it because that movie tanked so hard. Yeah, well, they just realized that yeah, that Hollywood at that point they really struggled with making those blockbusters. Yeah. They just weren't any good. Because I, I think Cowboys and Aliens actually has like um just technically it's 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 got all the chops. I think it really looks good and you know, feels like a gritty western just with science fiction. Yeah. But how's the cast? How's the cast? You've got Daniel Craig and Harrison Forp. You've got Olivia Wilde. You've got Sam Rockwell, Paul Dano, Clancy Brown, Keith Carradine, Walter Goggins, Walton Goggins, I should say. Um, the only person missing is Robert Duvall. <laughs> Surely they needed a grumpy old man character. Oh, no, that was taken up by Harrison Ford. <laughs> well, you know, he could have been one of the aliens. He, yeah, totally. He could have been the alien overlord. The, the, just the giant brain alien that used his voice for like two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like that. Oh shit. Uh well, <laughs> you know what? I need a coffee. Let's uh let's have a smoke, oh Ben. Let Guillermo take over. What's going on everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Excuse the voice, I'm a little bit under the weather today, but it is not COVID, so all good, I guess. Let's cover a little bit of the news from the past week, shall we? Aussie actress Rose Byrne is set to play New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern in an upcoming film titled They Are Us, which will be following the New Zealand Prime Minister in the week that followed the horrific 2019 Christchurch attacks on New Zealand's Muslim community. Set to both write and direct, the film is Andrew Nicholl, whose credits include Gattaca, Lord of War, In Time, the host and good kill. Nicole's screenplay was developed with several members of the mosques affected by the tragedy which saw 51 people massacred. There's a new Christine movie on the way from Sony Pictures and Blumhouse Productions. The new film adaptation of Stephen King's 1983 horror novel will be coming from Brian Fuller, primarily known for his high-profile writing slash producing television credits on shows such as Hannibal, Star Trek Discovery, American Guards and Heroes. Fuller will not only be writing the screenplay, he'll be making his directorial debut with the film as well. And he will of course remember that John Carpenter directed a feature adaptation in 1983 with Keith Gordon playing a young man whose life takes a dark turn after buying a possessed vehicle. A follow-up to the Emma Stone and Emma Thompson starring Cruella is in the works. Yes, Disney is clearly happy with the numbers coming in for Cruella since the film opened across cinemas and on the premiere side of the Disney Plus streaming service, the studio has already given the green light to a sequel that will bring back Aussie director Craig Gillespie and screenwriter Tony McNamara. Still no official confirmation on whether Emma Stone has officially signed on that dotted line for the sequel or whether she had a multi-picture deal to begin with, but we can assume she'll be back as well. 
and Gemma Arterton is set to play Jackie Kennedy in a new film titled 37 Heavens. The film will explore the relationship between Jackie Kennedy and British diplomat Lord David Harlech who will be played by Guy Pearce. According to Deadline, the film will chart the highly publicized 1967 visit that Jackie Kennedy made to Cambodia with Harlech, the war veteran and former British ambassador to the Kennedy White House. Under the spell of the mysterious ancient ruins of Angkor Wat and far from the hysteria of Jackie Mania, Kennedy opens up to David and their connection forged in part through shared grief catches her unaware. The film will be directed by Mark Munden, known for The Third Day and The Secret Garden and production is scheduled for early 2022. That about does it for me guys, thanks for listening. As always, ScreenRealm.com for movie news, trailers, competitions, all that jazz. Check it out if you haven't, we've also got your streaming release schedules there. Thanks so much for having me, I'm out of here. The memories are spewing out of my brain right now, man. Oh, do you remember Spaced Invaders? I do. I do. Surfing Alien. <laughs> the, the guy that directed that went on to make Baby's Day Out. That's no like, surprise. Come on. 
He also wrote Dragonheart. But uh, anyway, that song was called Taken Over the World as featured in Spaced Invaders. And before that, thanks to Guillermo from Screen Round for his weekly update. Guillermo's not feeling too good at the moment, so I uh, hope he gets better. It's not COVID, he says. It's not COVID. <laughs> I love that these days when you get sick, you just got to reassure people it's not COVID. It's not COVID. It's, it's diarrhea based. It's not cold based. I'm fine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you can save money by having diarrhea. You don't need lubricant. Jesus. I wish you would have told me that <laughs> before our last <laughs> lubricant spend. Mm. All right. So. <laughs> Let's just get back to things. All right, let's talk let's talk about more Alien movies, uh, one each here. Uh, I'm going to go first. I, I whittled three choices down into one for my next one. Because first I was going to talk about Annihilation, which is uh, that, that all-female starring Netflix film with, um, what's her name, Natalie Portman. Portman. But watching it recently, I realized that that's basically just a reworking of Lovecraft's Color Out of Space. And then I thought yeah. about Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space, and I realise I've talked too much about that on the show, so I've gone and settled with the curse. The curse. I was looking was, at the curse. And yeah. I thought, oh, it's just color out. Yeah. Yeah. So the curse, which was based on the same story, color out of space by H.P. Lovecraft. Um, it's the second time it's been adapted because originally there was a film called Die Monster Die. But um, and if you think about it, you know the like in particularly uh, Annihilation, where they talk about the cells splitting and mutating and everything multiplies. That is the basis for evolution, the Ivan Reitman film. So, like, you know, all of these things are sort of taking cues from each other, but The Curse, 1987. Tell me you love this one. I do. I really love this one. I love it. I lo also love that the sequels have nothing to do with it. Yeah, that's right. It's like an anthology trilogy, but yeah. starring Will Wheaton, John Schneider, Cooper Huckabee, and uh, Claude Atkins. It's one of those sci-fi movies from the 80s that just complete, like like um, Invaders from Mars, it plays nostalgic for those B-movies of the 50s, kind of like The Blob and Critters. It's a, a very similar kind of movie. Just not as, uh, nowhere near as family friendly as Invaders from Mars. Much more, much more no. like the crazies. <laughs> it's like the, it's like it's, the crazies it's, with aliens. It's... It's so B-movie, though, that when the meteorite lands, you can even see the stick attached to the miniature as it comes flying through the <laughs> through the forest. I watch this. I only watch this on VHS where you don't see anything but uh, but yeah. uh, static. <laughs> then it's like the story, if you don't know, it's about a meteorite that lands on a, a local farm and a gooey substance comes out and seeps into the soil, infecting pretty much everything that grows from it. The animals become rabid and soon the humans go insane. And the, the thing that's different from... Color out of space, as in the story, what they couldn't do at the time was represent the fact that color is the the entity, color is the evil force, and so instead they've just gone for like polluted soil, you know, to infect people. It's still good though; it's, it's fantastic. Well, that's the thing; it's it's super easy to write about a color that no one has ever seen before, but you can't show yeah. it because the minute you show it, well, I've seen it now. <laughs> well, yeah, this looks this yeah. looks purple. Like oh, it's a different <laughs> shade of purple. Yeah, it's purple. Did you um did you hear the we did an interview with Richard Stanley way back when we started the show when when the color out of space first got released and he spoke about how do you film a color that has never been seen before and what they did obviously it's pink and purple and blue but they added like all of these sort of high pitch um noises and like white noise and dog dog whistle pitched noises that sort of fuck with your brain without you realizing how effective that is, isn't it? You know, it's up to interpretation, but that's how you film a color you don't see. You put noise in there. Yeah, if you say so, Richard. Sure. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> 
next? What do you What do you got next? <laughs> Funny enough, we talked about this film uh, a couple of weeks ago when uh, you pulled it out of the. Well, I don't know if actually no, I don't know if we pulled it out of the lucky dip or a spitball splattered all over it. Uh, but it is <laughs> Alien Nation uh, from 1988. Yes. I want to talk about. Funnily enough, I could not find this on any streaming platform or at least it didn't come up in just watches list of streaming platforms that it was available in. Interesting. Anywhere. Although Interesting. I do believe once again, Umbra- umbrella, I have plonked it out on, on Blu-ray not too long ago. Yep. It's a good uh, one. Directed by Graham Baker, the guy who was uh, also responsible for impulse. And uh, it's basically, it's James Kahn, Mandy Patinkin, uh, Terrence Stamp, I think Peter Jason, John Carpenter, stalwart, pops up in this <laughs> Jeff Corber, like one of my favorite psychopathic usually plays like some kind of psycho villain. And in this one, he gets killed pretty quickly, but uh, it's basically a buddy cop film with aliens. Like the aliens have mm. alien slave, this alien slave ship has crash landed on earth. Uh, and it's the movie set. The movie was made in 1988. And in 1988, when is when the, the plane, the, the spaceship crashes, but the future is the film is set slightly in the future in like 1993 where aliens yeah. are kind of integrated into society, but they're basically treated as a kind of a second class citizen. It's a bit of a, you know, me, uh, metaphor for uh, yeah. America's dealing with its um, ethnic uh, mm-hmm. uh, peoples. It's uh, a <laughs> the great divide. Uh, yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so these aliens called new newcomers kind of like live in these kind of ghetto slums and they have what they call them slags is the derogatory name <laughs> that they all call them by. And, you know, the problem is, is that they're too, they're, they're much stronger than people. They're much smarter than people. Like the, the six year olds are in like high school and stuff like yeah, that. Yep. They're all, and you know, people are all complaining because they're out of work. Cause why would you hire a human when, uh, when a slag is so much smarter and it's basically, it's a, it's a, buddy cop drug movie aside from that and it's it's really well done it spawned a tv series immediately after this it only went for one season but then they did like five made for tv mm-hmm. movies also based on the on the series yep. and comic books and stuff like that stan winston studios did the makeup um it was produced the script was found it was like i'm not sure if it was a blacklist a, a script in the blacklist back in the day, but uh, Galen Hurd kind of championed the script and uh, produced, and she, you know, produced James famously is famous for producing James Cameron movies, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, they, the different actors of course take over once it, and this used to be a really common thing that doesn't happen so much anymore. Thanks to the Marvel universe, yeah. but you had, you had your movie <laughs> stars and when they did a spin-off TV series, you had the TV versions of them. So the TV, uh, uh, was it Gary Graham was the TV James Kahn and uh, yep. Eric Pierpoint was TV Mandy Patinkin. Uh, is the, yep. and that's the, the, the funniest thing about it is they, because they've got these 2 million, 2 million aliens have, have integrated into society. They've got to come up with names and there's just like, like they pick anything like Harley Davidson and Richard Nixon and, the main, the main uh, alien in this one, his name is uh, San Francisco, and James Khan refuses to call him San Francisco, so he, he just says, "I'm just going to call you George." 
Well, hey, can you guess? Uh, can you guess the title if I were to give you the movie character, the movie actor, and then the TV actor? So, John Lithgow would be the movie actor, and Bruce Davidson would be the TV actor. Oh, it's Harry and the Hendersons. Yes, it is. Ding, ding, ding. Not an alien show or movie. <laughs> Close enough. You, you never know with Bigfoot. What is Bigfoot really? Well, it, it's a, it's a giant puppet that was the same guy inside that was the Predator. So there we go. There's our connection. You mean John Claude Van Damme? <laughs> you were going to say that. That's only, only for the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And then he got fired. All right. Well, uh, the alien invasion movie that did inspire today's whole episode is Occupation Rainfalls, which is uh, the sequel to Occupation. If you don't know who Dan Ewing is from Occupation, you might know him uh, better from Home and Away or even better yet, his recent role in Love and Monsters, which I think is one of the best films around at the moment. Uh, I've got a lot of time for the guy, but let's have a chat with him and uh, talk about the movie and a few other things. Hey, Dan, how are you, mate? G'day, brother. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Cheers for um, taking time out of what I assume is a busy schedule to hang out <laughs> with me today. Mate, I've, I've just been up in Queensland with my, with my six-year-old. You want to talk about a busy schedule? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a bit nuts, but it's uh, very grateful for my busy schedule. But yeah, I can't complain when I've got a bit of downtime to talk to people like you. Oh, half your luck, man. I, I, could, I could do with a trip to Queensland right about now. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, well, I think we all can. People who don't live in Queensland always want a trip to Queensland. That is true. I, I must admit, I did just come back from there, so I can't complain. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so hey, we are we are here to um we're t- here to talk about Occupation Rainfall. Uh, but before we do that, I don't w- I want to backtrack just a little bit um, to when you and director Luke Spark first worked together, which was the movie Red Billabong. Is that where you guys met, or had you known each other beforehand? No, that's that's where we uh, first met, and. Um... Yeah, what an experience that was. So, so fun. And just for me seeing his, his progression, I'm sure he'll say something similar but as, a, as a writer and a, and a director. Um, and even before that, you know, in, the, in his sort of beginnings in the film industry, it's just so cool as a mate to see what he has done with Occupation Rainfall, just taking things to a whole new level. I don't know what he's going to do in the future. I mean, I think the man needs a Star Wars movie, to be honest. That's my uh, <laughs> my honest opinion. No bias at all. I just think he he needs to be given the reins to one of those things, for sure. Yeah, I was I was blown away by it, to be honest with you. And there's quite a huge leap between Red Billabong and Occupation, so like in terms of concept and scope. How soon after Billabong had he pitched the idea of an alien invasion movie to you? That's a great point. Actually, uh, I, if, like all magic that happens at Hog's Breath Cafe... <laughs> I think I was just catching up with him because I was up there for another shoot or something along those lines. So him and his beautiful now wife, Carly, who's a, a producer on the on his films, uh, we met up at Hog's Breath and he sort of pitched this idea to me. It was for a slightly different character, um, but I read it and I just, I wanted the lead. I could see myself in the lead. I knew I got football players who had, you know, maybe had a bit of a fall from grace who were struggling with sort of addiction issues and painkillers and, and they weren't sort of the the former warriors, the modern day gladiators that they, that they once were. So I really, I really fought for the leader would have been very happy with the character I was offered, but I'm very grateful to Luke for entrusting me to play Matt Simmons, that's for sure. Yeah, right. And, and in that original pitch for Occupation, was there any talk of it being more than just one film? No, in, in true Luke Spark fashion, because he's just got so many ideas. He's a true visionary. He, uh, he was, I think he shared this story before, so I'm not uh, daily mailing anybody. It, uh, <laughs> I think he was over there doing meetings for other scripts 
and I think some uh, some sort of big American uh, sort of agencies or perhaps even a studio. So what else have you got? And I think Luke just sort of came up with it because he'd sort of imagined it and this sort of thing happening on on home soil. And so such is the man that he just sort of came out and said, bang, we'll go write the script and bit a bit of film magic. And then here we are, you know, having just shot the sequel and who knows, it might be room for a third one. Well, I think there might be. I actually spoke to Luke Spark just like this uh, not too long ago, so hopefully I can pick your brain in a minute. <laughs> but um, before we move on to Rainfall, just one more thing about about uh, the first film. Billabong was small. Was there any doubt in your mind going into Occupation that you could pull it off being such a high concept? I, I trust Luke and his creative team um, because he he is obviously a, he's a great filmmaker, a fantastic writer, but he's a fan first and foremost. So I knew that the genre was in the right hands. And and let's be real, sci-fi, sci-fi, it's not taboo in Australia, but it certainly doesn't, it doesn't have the respect it has overseas. I mean, look how well the first occupation did on, on Netflix worldwide. So I, I just, I trust the man. I know he knows his genre better than anyone in the world almost. So uh, yeah, I, I knew, I knew we were in the right hands, that's for sure. The first film really caught me off guard. Like I must admit, like I I wasn't all that interested in it when it first came out, and I avoided yeah. it for some stupid reason. And then when I caught onto it, like it blew me away. I think it is definitely one of the best you know sci-fi films we've produced in Australia. You know, you guys should be really proud of it. And it's different too. You gotta. It's. I think what Luke really does is he obviously he's a huge fan of Star Wars and Independence Day. And there's lots of there's lots of those little beautiful homages in there, and it wasn't afraid to to have a bit of fun at times. I think Australia does you know comedy and very dark stuff very well, but tying that entertainment line and not poking fun at itself, but that magic of Star Wars. And obviously, we don't have the the time or the budgets, especially in the first one, to 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 not to muck around, but to take our time to flesh that out as much as we would love to. But it's I'm just so glad that someone had a crack at it. You know what I mean? Someone had a good old go and. You know, and here we are. The, the 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 second movie, much bigger budget, huge international stars joining the cast, and like we just talked about, a potential third one on the way. And that wouldn't happen if Luke Spark wasn't at the helm. Yeah, sure. And and to be honest with you, going into part two, the rainfall, I was just I couldn't comprehend the size of this. Like it really is massive. And like you said, he should be in charge of a Star Wars, something like that. This is our Star Wars, I guess. Um, was it more relaxed making this film because you're on familiar ground or was it more difficult because of the scope? Depends how you ask, mate. <laughs> <laughs> for you, for you. Asking producers. Um, no, I, I, we were certainly aware that the scale and scope was bigger and obviously with bigger budgets, more pressure. Um, but the world that Luke created, I, I feel like there could have been another another step in between. But what he's done to go from the first movie, which we was big for an Australian sci-fi, to go to this, which is on an international scale. This will compete with any international sci-fi. I'm not just saying that because I'm a lead actor. This does. And on a budget of 25 million Australian, right? So that's a big budget for Australia. Let's put that in American terms, say 17 million bucks. You're not making this movie for 17 million bucks in the US. Probably not anywhere in the world. So what they've done, I still, it's, I'm in awe of it. Every time I... I see clips. I sort of, I um, I've still got my original script that I got sent. I flick through that every now and then. I just keep, my God, there's three million bucks on that page. You know, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I think one of the first ads was always oh, it's it was instead of occupation rainfall. I think he was calling it um, occupation ambitious. Uh, <laughs> every day, he'd come up with a new word for the day because 
I still don't know how we got the call sheets. You know, it was uh, it was it was a massive, massive team effort, and uh, I'm just so pumped now. The rest of the world gets to see it. Yeah, I've watched I've watched a lot of friends, you know, make small films, and to to comprehend how Luke, you know, just seemingly went from Red Billabong to this within within only a couple of years, you know, it's just incredible. And you, in particular, are an action star in these. What kind of preparation goes into um, a role like this? Well, interestingly, so for the first one, um, I'd just done a rugby movie and I found it really fascinating with the amount of ex-athletes that really struggle with addiction issues and, like I said, that fall from grace. So that orig- that wrinkle wasn't in there originally. So, you know, the painkillers and the alcohol. So he wasn't just Captain America straight away. And I didn't want him to look like just ripped. So I actually put on weight for that role and just sort of ate sausage rolls and, and whatever. For this one, two years down the track, uh, people will notice a much leaner Matt Simmons, uh, purely because they've been living on spam, you know, and uh, whatever <laughs> else they can get their hands on. So it was, it's, it, I, I didn't think Matt needed to be big and muscular and, and strong. So I, I certainly leaned down a lot. Um, and I'm not, I'm certainly not old. Um, I'm only 36, but it gets harder every time, I gotta say. Um, so yeah, I leaned him right down and just, and just did my research a lot. I just on, on the conflict of, of war. So what I mean by that is I think when people see this, they'll see Matt is kind of in the middle, right? So obviously you have Amelia, who's very much sympathetic to the, the greys and their cause. And you have other people on the other side of the coin who just want to wipe them all out. And Matt just wants to take care of his people. So he's constantly in that, in that conflict. Um, so I did a lot of research on that, but yeah, physical prep was just chicken and salad. <laughs> Man, look, this this sounds like a really silly question, but in in relation to your performance, um, did the experience of playing a Power Ranger actually help in the role, like in terms of physicality on camera and choreography and stuff like that? You know what? That's not a silly question at all. I actually say this a lot in interviews. Uh, Power Rangers, so for everybody playing at home, I was the Black Power, Black Power Ranger in, uh, I think it was 2009 Power Rangers RPM. From that movie, from that, from that series rather, from that experience and training and doing the the uh, what's called Koichi camp. So Koichi is the second unit director. He's an icon uh, of that series. Uh, from doing that and a lot of the driving stuff I had to do, I haven't really needed a stunt double for my whole career. And it's not because I'm, you know, I'm a great martial artist or an action star, or whatever. It's about performing stunts safely and keeping the people around you safe, including the crew. So um, there's, a, there's a few things in this movie that I couldn't do, but very few. So there's certain things where insurance companies just wouldn't cover the lead actor to do it, especially if it's early in the shoot. Um, but I'd say like 95% of this and the other movie especially is me um, by like we're talking a few split seconds. So that it's a long story short, that movie has set me up to be able to perform and do most of my own stunts in my career. Um, and yeah, and uh, that's a great question. Like, no one's ever asked me, but it's, it's 100% true. Being a Power Ranger has helped my career exponentially, especially as far as the physicality and movement goes and shooting um, rubber monsters in the face. <laughs> yeah, excellent. I'm glad I'm glad you are, you took that on stride because, um, yeah, Power Rangers is amazing too. It's, it's the longest running live action series in the world. I love my time. It's, I say the same thing about Home and Away. Um, yeah. I think quite often in our tall poppy syndrome in this country, it's we we knock things down. I fucking love my time on Home and Away and on Power Rangers because it just it it gives you this groundwork, this framework. And don't get me wrong, you always want to have more time and cooler uniforms that aren't really tight spandex and 
and whatever, <laughs> but what it does, it makes it really, it focuses you on, on your work and gives you tools that you can take into any job. So I'm extremely grateful for my time. And a big shout out to the Power Rangers fans on there. They, uh, they talk to me all the time online and, you know, and it's quite funny how they're, they're very passionate as well. Now, you know, I met, I met a, guy, a kid the other night. Uh, he said, you know, I, I really enjoyed uh, watching you on Love and Monsters. It was great. But how often do you get recognized as a Power Ranger? And this kid was sort of mid-20s. And I, I didn't realize, you know, you kind of do the math. I was like, yeah, right. You're right in the age mm -hmm. pocket. You know, and this kid was sort of serving me a beer at a bar. And I was used to, I just didn't think of that. He's like, yeah, I, I really loved it. I grew up on, I loved your series. And it was, and yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to all the Rangers fans. Yeah, definitely. So you should be. And some of the greatest actors of our generation come from the soap operas too. So, you know, yeah, amazing, amazing discipline from that. Um, but look, as I said before, I did speak to Luke a little while ago and he did mention that part three was coming. Uh, do you know anything about it? Can you shed any kind of light on it whatsoever? Luke Spark, a.k.a. Christopher Nolan, no. That's the, the honest answer is I don't know anything about the third one. Um, I've been quite busy with Love and Monsters and, 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 and other stuff. So I haven't gotten on the, on the phone to him and he's been busy getting, getting married. So... Look, I, I think where we left it without giving too much away, there's lots of story there to tell, especially with uh, Matt and the Gary character um, at the end of, of uh, Rainfall. So I hope everyone gets out and, uh, and, and really supports it because, look, I know Luke wants to make a third one, but, you know, we are in Australia. These aren't just guaranteed home runs. So if everyone gets out there and grabs the Blu-ray on June 16 and the international audiences love it, I'm sure the third one won't be too far. Well, I really hope so because I think uh, occupation and occupation rainfall are just like creme of the crop. Really putting Australian genre on the map, and and um, yeah, no, very grateful to you and and congratulations on Love and Monsters too, by the way, because that's phenomenal. Yeah, thank you. And, and it's, um, it's actually quite funny, you know, sort of popping up and seeing uh, for everyone playing at home. So Bruce Spence, uh, who was in Occupation, the first Occupation, he is also in Love and Monsters with me. Uh, both, you know, I had a blonde wig and he had a wig in this and he was an alien in occupation and I was trying to shoot him in the face, but it's just funny. Just like what a, what a crazy world that I can do two movies with an icon of Australian cinema and sci-fi cinema, obviously too. So it was, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> fun. Well, you are going to be joining me for a rapid fire video in a, a couple of days time. And you've already just then answered one of my questions about Bruce Spence. So excellent. Got ah, in early. See, Got in early. <laughs> well, you know, and for everyone playing at home too, there was no run sheet here. So it's not like I stitched you up, right? I didn't learn my lines. So I am sorry. You have, to throw, you have to throw a random one in, you know, like a, like a, like a real journalist about my personal life or something just to, just to stitch me up a bit, pay me back. Excellent. I'll ask about that secret sex tape. Oof. I made that. <laughs> Luke Spark directed that one too, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for taking time. Um, it's been awesome chatting with you and uh, I can't wait to see what comes next with this Occupation series. Mate, thank you so much. I just want to say a big thank you for your support. I know that uh, filmmakers and actors, we just want our, our creativity to be, to be given a fair go and to be supported. So, mate, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it.
he just comes across as a nice guy, Ben. Um, and he is a nice guy. He's a nice guy, yeah. Yeah, if you enjoyed that, then uh, you can catch that interview uh, tomorrow in video form on our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. Then on Thursday, even better, is that we have an exclusive video of Rapid Fire with Dan where he fields a whole bunch of random silly questions. And it's, uh, it's so much fun. But Occupation Rainfall is out on Blu-ray and DVD this week and we will be giving away copies, as Ben said earlier, on our social media pages. So join us there. Um, and if you haven't already found us, just type in Good Movie Monday, find the page, like us, interact with us. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. This week's edition is Alien, Alien Invasion. Invasion. There you I, go. There they're, you. they're already here. They're what? When? They're already here. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'd be the worst person to deliver that line. Hey, they're already here, guys. They're already here. They're, they're, they're done, over there. There's some over there. They done, they done got here. They're, <laughs> they're in the backyard. They done fried up Sparky. Chad, you want to go first? they didn't get the corn. Yeah, um, I'm <laughs> going with You have to get the my... corn out of my... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get out. <laughs> uh, you um... know, I want to give tribute to Orson Welles and yeah. talk about War of the Worlds. So I'm going to talk about 1990s Spaced Invaders. Uh, directed by Patrick Reed Johnson and written by Patrick Reed Johnson. Uh, it is How my, have you guys not nailed him down yet? I don't know. I would love to talk to Patrick Reed Johnson. I tried. But, I tried. Uh, if you haven't seen Spaced Invaders, people, please take the, the hour and a half that that movie runs. It is a great Halloween film. Uh, it's about ever, these... It's also yeah. the only uh, it's the only alien invasion film where one of them had the Jack Nicholson impression. You just took my joke from me. <laughs> Why yes. did you take his joke, James? Yeah, and James uh, is right. Jerk. Yeah, it is it is the only movie ever made where a Martian lands and has the voice of Jack Nicholson. Um Mars Attacks didn't even have that guts. They just put Jack Nicholson into the fucking movie. Well, they knew, Tim Burton knew that he couldn't match the genius of Patrick Reed Johnson. Or Royal Dano. Well, Royal Dano is actually the reason to watch it. Him and that dog are the actual people in the movie. Yeah, and um, also if you want to see a young Ariana Richards from Jurassic Park fame, Space Invaders for you just for you. It is a good Halloween film for, for children. And if you if you have if you have if you're nostalgic for the late 80s, early 90s, Space Invaders fits right into that category. Highly recommend checking it out. Gentlemen, what do you got? All right. So mine is a Toby Hooper just absolute shit fest that we've talked about on here many times. But I just I I swear to God, if it's on, I'll stop and watch it. I bought the special edition Blu-ray and J- Chad goes, What's so special about that? But it, add, it it adds a few more minutes to it. Life it changes force, the entire movie. It changed the entire movie. There's 30 more seconds of Matilda May, Matilda May topless. Yeah, it showed five more seconds of the right nipple. Oh my god! It changed the whole just stopped. <laughs> the whole just stopped. I love I Life Force is a terrible movie that makes no sense, but it's so much fun. It does it goes off the rails so much. And the problem is who cast Steve Rails back as your lead? You no know what one. Life, you know what no Life Force one. didn't have, Joe? Fred it Applegate. Had Matilda May. What? Fred Applegate. You know what Fred who had Fred Applegate? Space no. Invaders. You know what uh Space Invaders <laughs> didn't have? Matilda May. James. Yeah, she was the one doing the Jack Nicholson impression, no, you dumbass. Was it? <laughs> Heavy makeup on that effect. But anyway, talk about her. I'm going to talk about one that nobody's going to talk about, and I'm going to be the one. Directed by Terrence Fisher, starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Oh, my God. I'm going with Night of the Big Heat, a.k.a. 
uh, Island, Island of the Burning Damned. Aliens I don't think invade, I've actually seen it. Aliens invade and they're hot, hot, hot. Not evidently the same way you think Matilda May is hot, hot, hot. These are ludicrously hot aliens, and they they burn the sheep around them. They're on the island. They can't get off. And Matilda enough, May could have done that if she wanted. <laughs> interestingly enough, by the way, just background information about this: if you watch the behind the scenes on this, um, it was an unusual cold snap when they actually filmed it. So they had to put glycerin all over the actors so it would look like they were sweating and put them in really light clothing. And some of them were very, very cold. Most of the Oh, so that's um, what inspired Bush. Glycerin, yeah. yeah. I see what you did there. I wish you wanted it, but I see it. Anyway. Of all the ways you could have went with that, let's go back well, to Matilda May. Yeah, and her amazing it, Jack Nicholson impression. <laughs> if you've never seen it, it came out in the United Kingdom in 1970. Uh, 1967. The U.S. didn't get it till 1971, and of course, it was I think put in, in Australia. A, they call them the royal oppressors. <laughs> well, that's fine. It it was a double feature, and of course, if you're going to have a burning alien movie, you're going to pair it with what? That's right, Godzilla's Revenge in driving. Not at the big heat. It's a big bonehead weekly fun size. By now, all of you should know about Bonehead Weekly. It's that American podcast from Kentucky, and that was their fun-sized edition, which they do exclusively for us. Uh, so find their show on social media as well. Become a loyal listener, all that stuff. Uh, I thought we might be crossing streams, Ben, with the next one on my list, but um, we'll see about that. 1998, The Faculty, uh, which um, came along at a time when Kevin Williamson was like Hollywood hotshot. Like, he was the shit at the time, having only really made Screamin', I know what you did last summer. <laughs> like, apparently all it takes is two to be a golden boy. Yeah, you're only as popular, you're only as successful as your last film, and if your last film was Scream, uh, then you're doing all right. <laughs> well, the big distinction here is that The Faculty was directed by Robert Rodriguez, who had just come off Desperado and From Dust to Dawn, so he was also hot property in a very different kind of way, and sort of they came together, and um, look, the movie basically plays on the body snatchers concept, you know, a bit of the thing in there. It's that parasitic kind of type of movie where, look, I reckon the movie is generic, like we've seen it all before, you know, even like Disturbing Behaviour is a bit that way, but... I just love it. I, I don't know what it is about it. I think it's a little bit hardcore, but a little bit glossy as well. But that's what they, all of those movies at that time were basically reinventing. Like Scream was reinventing the slasher film was, was, you know, just modernizing it slightly. And this was, it was right. this was their invasion of the body snatchers. Disturbing behavior was their, um, a Stepford wives kind of thing. Yeah. Like they're all, you know, bringing it to a new mob. Yeah. A new gen. Um, and look, this story is about a, a bunch of teachers at a high school who are all sort of one by one taken over by alien parasites with murderous appetites. And um, some say it's a parable of like, you know, teen alienation and others like to sort of take away this subversion of the females in horror tropes. And But then again, I think that's just bullshit. I just think it's a horror movie. It's violent and it's fun. And I don't think you need to read into it like that. And there is a, there is a great scene where they uh, grab Elijah Wood by both legs and then ram his nuts into a flagpole, which I, uh, uh, <laughs> that scene I always enjoyed. <laughs> and isn't that before the aliens take over? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just... <laughs> Yeah, they always make out that the aliens are the bad guys and you're like, well, I think you'll find that teens, teens are always the bad guys. <laughs> you know how like some actors or some filmmakers have their little, um, 
their signature in movies like John Landis, it's always see you next um, Wednesday and all that kind of stuff. Elijah Wood should have his nuts being rammed against a flagpole in every movie. Every movie, yeah. He should just there should be like a like man kicked yeah, man hit and groin with football type type moment. Yeah, like that there, there should be a sign at, at <laughs> on the fridges of Hobbiton that says you know, welcome to Hobbiton, or you are now leaving Hobbiton, and as they're on their journey, just whack right in there. Yeah, kick the nuts. The, every time you went to Hobbiton, you get like everyone who welcomes you, you get a kick in the nuts. <laughs> oh fuck! The movie also has um, who is it? Uh, Josh Hartnett when he was like a heartthrob, Chloe Duvall, uh, Selma Hayek, Laurie Piper, Robert Patrick. Shit, this is a huge cast. Pumpkin Jensen, Christopher McDonald, yeah, Pumpkin Jensen, John Stewart, um, Jordana Brewster. Like it's 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 massive. Yeah, Jordana Brewster, who uh, this she was absolutely stunning in this movie. And then, and I was so the reason I went to see the original Fast and Furious movie is because she was in it. Like I didn't give a shit about Vin Diesel, couldn't care less about Paul. Walker. I was like, how is Paul Walker a star? He's like the second fiddle to Freddie Prince Jr. in uh, She's All That. Like, how is this guy being getting to be a lead in his own in his own movie? But the reason <laughs> that I, guy from Meet the Deedles, yeah. <laughs> But I wanted to see it because of Jordana Brewster. And then for some some idiotic reason, whoever did the hair, whoever the hairstylist was on that film went, you know what, Jordana, you'd look so much prettier if you didn't have a fringe. And they took her fringe away and revealed this <laughs> like gigantic, seemingly gigantic forehead that aged her 10 years. <laughs> You're like, what has happened? This is not the Jordana Brewster that I came to see. I was very, very disappointed. Uh, it was all about. Well, the she's fringe. back in. Uh, she's back in Fast and the Furious Nine. I, I assume fringe and all, if I recall. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if she's got a. If, if if later on they bring the fringe back, she certainly had the fringe in Debs, which is uh, a classic. <laughs> you know, was it uh, schoolgirl lesbian assassin movie? <laughs> Your kind of movie. My kind. It's like they made it for me. <laughs> What's your next what one? Would, what would Ben like? What would Ben like? Far away. Hmm. Lesbian schoolgirls who are also assassins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my my next film is a bit of a cult classic. Like I had, uh, I picked up the VHS of this, and when I watched it, I was like, "How is this not?" like huge how is not like everyone i talked to about it were like what like they'd never heard of it <laughs> i love how you say mine's a bit of a cult classic aren't nearly every film we talk about cult classics, cult classics. Oh, I've, <laughs> sometimes i think my movies are the movies i pick a lot of the time are a bit too Shit. well known and mainstream <laughs> and they're not not, uh, not obscure enough like a you know, try, you know but this one certainly is it's <laughs> all right lay it on me it's from 1984 it is a musical it is called Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Ah, uh, yes. And like in pure <laughs> 80s fashion, 80s teen movie fashion, it does star Craig Sheffer, who would have been in fucking everything at the time, like uh, mm -hmm. like some kind of wonderful or, and uh, I think he was in Secret Admirer. Like he's in all of those kind of movies, usually playing an arsehole, and he doesn't really differ too much in this one. Uh, it also stars Pia Zadora. She was the first one cast. She... Uh, kind of at the time had like she was a recording artist she'd also taken her clothes off in a couple of big films like steamy erotic adult dramas that kind of gained a bit of notoriety so it was a big deal that she was in this um who else michael berryman turns up as an escaped psychopath 
<laughs> uh, of course he does. The alien, the the main alien uh, is played by Tom Nolan. And Tom Nolan is the star of one of my all-time favorite teen sex comedies, School Spirit. He's the main <laughs> character in that. And funnily enough, in School Spirit, he looks about 10 years too old to be playing the character he is. In this one, he actually... It's, he looks about right, <laughs> even though he has like right. a ridiculous haircut. It, it's amazing. So basically, <laughs> this film uh, is about these. It's about these aliens. They're flying. They're a scientific. Uh, they're on a scientific mission, flying around in outer space, and they come across a transmission of rock and roll music, and become obsessed by it. And so they try and find the the planet that it came from, and eventually they kind of hit on Earth and travel down and uh, try and integrate into society to learn more about rock and roll. And the town they land in is this like kind of shitty Southern kind of country town. I think it's Southern uh, called Spielberg, Spielberg, USA. <laughs> and the, uh, I am shaking my head. <laughs> Ruth Gordon, Ruth Gordon is like the local sheriff who <laughs> like, it's like, she's, She's um she's playing a character right out in the heat right out of in the heat of the night. Like her, the introduction to her is that she's got like looking through a pair of binoculars, perving on this muscle guy who's working out in front of his bedroom window. <laughs> it's oh like God, it's, it's awesome! And she spots the uh the the alien ship landing and becomes kind of obsessed in in finding them. But the aliens come to Earth and they they land in this town and this town is basically controlled like this or this high school is dominated by the Craig Sheffer character. Who's like this um, Marlon Brando in the wild one type type character. And it's hard to tell when this movie is set because it, everyone seems to be kind of trapped in this kind of sixties. Like, like they're all kind of, you know, all the school kids are wearing plaid skirt, like the school girl, they're wearing plaid skirts and stuff, except for Pia Zadora and Craig Sheffer who are clearly in the eighties and the aliens who were like <laughs> new wave aliens. It's got this really kind of weird kind of production design to it. Uh, but the songs are great. And basically, uh, so Craig Sheffer controls the school. and He's also the lead singer of the band. And he <laughs> refuses to let his girlfriend, played by Pia Zadora, sing in the band. And all she wants to do is sing. Uh, and then the aliens come down and, and they've got a band. And so they, uh, the Tom Nolan, the head alien, kind of falls in love with Pia Zadora and says that he'll let her sing in his band. And then there's like a kind of a clash of the two. And then in the middle, in between all of that, the local lake is is um, had a massive amount of pollution, and there's a giant tentacled monster that lives in it. That its tentacle sleeks out and uh, you know randomly kills people. Michael Berryman and his buddy have escaped from an insane asylum and, and are killing people with an axe and a, with a chainsaw like randomly kind of just intercut and it all the whole thing comes to a head at the uh, school uh, cotillion end of year cotillion where uh, the bands have a kind of a, a band off like a battle of the bands type type thing uh, <laughs> really it's, it's it's really weird everyone in the movie sings except for Craig Shepard who is dubbed uh, for someone else um, but Wow. sings all her songs the two craig sheffer's gang are basically played by band jimmy and the mustangs the aliens apart from um tom nolan are this really weird kind of new wave band called rima who only ever released I think, <laughs> one album like they did the soundtrack for this and they may have had like one album that 
didn't get released. And you can, if you search around on the internet, you can find it. <laughs> this guy has just uh, somehow found like all the unreleased songs and just has just just puts them out randomly on websites saying you can, if you want to <laughs> hear the music of these bands, I highly recommend that. It is a great soundtrack. Um, but uh, there is a after they shot the movie and the title the title song there's a title song in the in in the movie uh well called the when the rain begins to fall and after they'd shot the movie pia zadora who was must have been huge at the time but she and um uh which one is it uh, jermaine jackson like in they actually <laughs> sang the song together and that was the hit that that was the single that was actually released and they flew to I think to Italy to shoot the music video. And then they decided, they decided to plonk it in the, it was originally it was going to play over the end credits of the movie, but then they, they thought, no, the song's too good. And they figured out this really weird way to stick it right at the start. So when the aliens are scanning to try and find if earth is the home of rock and roll, they tune in on that music <laughs> video. And oh man, so the movie is always like it's you know, it stars Jermaine Jackson. It only stars Jermaine Jackson because of the music video that <laughs> that is in for the release plays in its entirety in the film. It's really weird, oh, but really man. awesome. If there's one reason for people to listen to today's episode, that's it. Like that movie, Voyage of the Rock Aliens, put it on your list, people. I think it actually has got a Blu ray release now, it has come out, so I highly recommend picking that up. Add it to your cart. And uh, we are, we're nearing the end of the show, Benjamin. But uh, one guy we can't be forgetting um, is Adam Ross. So without, uh, without delay, here's his take on today's theme. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing alien invasion movies. Now I am going to pick probably the most gentle of all alien invasion movies, Arrival. Now Arrival for me was 2016's unequivocally best film. This for me just cemented that Denny Villeneuve is very possibly the best director that is working today. I mean, the dude's filmography is already stacked and I feel like he is just getting started. This movie follows Amy Adams, uh, playing Louise here, a, a linguistics specialist that is sent in to infiltrate this monolithic structure that has just emerged, that has come from space. Why is it here? That's a plot of Arrival. Uh, she's offered incredible support by Jeremy Renner here. What this movie has outside of incredible production value and atmosphere is its themes going on under the hood. This movie will get under your skin and break your heart in a way that very, very few movies do. Now, science fiction gets sometimes a bit of a bad rap. Some people are like, oh, watch anything but sci-fi because they think that they think that it lacks heart. But all of my favorite sci-fi films, Terminator, Looper, all this stuff, they've got a human engine at the core of it. And Arrival has got this incredible human engine so look if for whatever reason you've been living under a rock and you have not gone on the trip of arrival do it pay attention though because it will fry your circuits this has got some twisted shit in it but yeah arrival i look if i could give movies six stars i would i remember when i was sitting in gold class at the jam factory and i saw this and i thought well that's great because that makes my year so much easier because no other film is going to come close to this arrival five stars plus an extra one check it out asap 
And you can hear Adam Ross on Triple M and see him on Ticket TV. He has a Facebook page called Adam's Just Seen. So go and follow that. Thank you to Adam. Uh, we're fans of his and do appreciate what he does and contributes to the show. Uh, now we're almost done. But Ben, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on alien anal probing? I'm uh, pro. <laughs> Obviously, there's a great um, alien probe, uh, anal probe scene in uh, Evolution. One of the best. That is great. You know, and, and one of my favorite games of all time on the PlayStation 3 is the South Park game which is all about Cartman's <laughs> anal probe. Although in evolution, it's more of an anal extraction. Um, unless, unless, uh, oh, actually there's a giant alien uh, probe as well. Anal probe where <laughs> was it? Orlando goes up the alien's ass. Like in, in Osmosis Jones, you're just talking about Osmosis Jones. <laughs> in evolution. Osmosis Jones. It's horrible up here. <laughs> you will not believe what I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think the first ever alien anal probe depicted on screen was in The Outer Limits back in the 60s or 70s. Right. Yeah, in black and white. And did they explain uh, I think why? there's a good alien. I uh, know, oh, but there's, there's still still images, like frame shots on, online that you can find of just like a guy on a medical table facing camera with his legs apart and in the air and a doctor standing behind him with the glove. <laughs> like, really? Inspired, inspired uh, millions and millions of air, airport workers, TSA agents, <laughs> uh, for years to come. I think, um, if, if my memory serves me correct, I think there's a good uh, anal probe in Communion as well, the one with Christopher Walken. Well, if there's anyone, if there's anyone who who wants a, who needs a good anal probing, it's Christopher Walken. <laughs> wow. You can just imagine it too. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh wow. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that all episode. <laughs> so then he was going, wow. You know what he did? Uh, <laughs> he shouldn't have done it. <laughs> it would have been like that, like the Norm MacDonald uh, bit in Dirty Work. You know what the worst part is? Yeah. The lack of respect. Yeah. Well, it's the other thing. But after the other thing, it's the lack of respect. <laughs> But like Christopher Walken would. The worst thing about being abducted by aliens is the lack of respect. I mean, no. You know what they put up there? A cannibal. Yeah. <laughs> His whole fist. His whole fist went up there, Ira. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, there you go. We've, uh, we've scraped the surface of today's theme. And um, much is the nature of our show. We always are. Uh, we always scrape the surface of any theme and uh, loads of fun taken from it. Nonetheless, a huge shout out to Dan Ewing for spending time to chat. Uh, you can catch those videos on our YouTube, Facebook and Instagram pages. Kudos also to Jarek, Yemo, Adam, Joe, Chad and James. And a special thanks to Tia for helping us behind the scenes. Ben, it's a uh, big thanks to you, mate. Uh, do you have any parting words? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> perfect opportunity for a wow oh wow no <laughs> follow us on letterboxd yes do it every time uh, a new show comes out we list all the films that we talked about on letterboxd and uh, you'll be surprised and you'll go wow every time <laughs> and has it been worth our while how's it all tracking <laughs> oh i've got no idea <laughs> i don't okay. pay attention that's probably the better i don't pay attention to likes and follows <laughs> 
We're not here for popularity, people. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. There's nothing I like more than waking up at four o'clock in the morning on a on a Monday and populating that list in the hopes that somebody will like it. No, I'm not doing it for somebody to like it. I'm doing it because I love it. <laughs> I love listing things. It makes me feel like I've done something when I haven't done anything at all. <laughs> well, speaking of um, alien probes and, uh, and anal fisting and all that kind of stuff, here's a, here's a love song dedication for you, mate. Um, this one is called You Bring Out the Love in Me. <laughs> We're going to sign off with a song by Pia Sidora from the film that Ben just spoke about, Voyage of the Rock Alien soundtrack. And what a boppy banger this is. In fact, if you ever find yourself being anal probed by aliens, just sing this to yourself. It might be better. Yeah, except they should have renamed it <laughs> You Put the Lover in Me. Uh, it always ends this way have a fantastic week everybody and uh, thanks for listening we'll see you next time What time is fucking smoker? What time do we knock off? If you're busting for a fucking shit, where's the thunder box? Do we get our daily Raleigh weed and six cold cans of piss? And can any bastard tell me whose fucking show is this?